There's a story inside every smoke shop. With every cigar and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle of Povida. This is Box Press. Welcome to another episode of Box Press. I'm your host, Rob Gagne. I am sitting next to Ernesto Padilla. Thank you so much for joining me. Do you feel like you're a little jaded? I don't think when anybody's, you know, I'm 49. I started when I was like 28 in this business. But you didn't start Padilla Cigars at 28, did you? Yeah. You did? Yeah. Yep. Because you said you had also worked for Nick Perdomo. Yeah, and I, and I, and I literally started it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I, started, uh, I started it there. He made a camera of a cigar for me while I worked for him. I said, you know, I like to do my own line, and I, and I, and I did. Really? And, yeah. Yeah, I started there for one year. So many people started with Perdomo that people don't know about. Drew Estate, CAO. But, uh, What's the story with your dad? Your dad was a poet. He was arrested by the Cuban yeah, government. Yeah, he was a writer, poet. You know. Why was he arrested? Uh, he, he, it's a long uh, thing. Uh, Give me the cliff notes. I don't want the long story. That would take up the whole interview. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 1959, he was in New York, um, and he was called by uh, one of his friends um, to come back to Cuba, that the revolution had uh, triumphed. Now, you got to understand, if you go back and, again, trying to do the cliff notes, Castro at the time had not come out to be who he said he was. Mm-hmm. He had visited Washington, D.C., and you can see, you know, Google him at, Lincoln Memorial and shaking hands with Nixon and the whole shebang and you know uh, uh, my father was an intellectual poet a writer from Pinar del Rio his family were tobacco growers well known there's a region there the farms the whole thing whatever it's all still there uh, traveled throughout the world many people in artistic uh, community writers artists uh, philosophers people like Albert Camus uh, John Paul Sartre, I mean, um, kind of the top of their, of the people in, in philosophy and, and different things that were going on in the world. They were talking in the early 60s and things like that. Um, and, and because of his contacts going back to Cuba, uh, they wanted someone with his background. He had traveled to the Soviet Union also, many writers and artists that he knew there. And he he was actually, ironically enough, asked by Che Guevara, the infamous guy on T-shirts, to most uh, yep. Western college students yep. uh, who, ironically enough, was, enjoyed killing people. <laughs> what was he asked by him to do? To be the the minister of foreign, of, uh, of, uh, commerce for foreign affairs uh and my father's like what what are you talking about minister of commerce i'm, I'm all right it doesn't matter we have people for that we just need you as the figurehead um so did fa- he do it he traveled different places he was, he was traveled to moscow he's traveled all over uh he was in london he was all over he lived in many different places spoke i don't know how many languages including russian and um but did he take the job that Caveras? he was he, he was kind of like uh 
appointed there briefly, but his main thing was to, to really do what he was doing, was to be, I know as crazy as it may sound, it's a little bit of an odd position, you know, who, who writes on their IRS forms, you know, poet, right? <laughs> uh, not that he was <laughs> as an IRS like that, but it's, it's unique to have, uh, to be an artist, much less a poet in, in the modern world, even though, uh, you know, now at the inaugural address of U.S. presidents, they usually have a poet that I think was started maybe by Kennedy, who had Robert Frost. Okay. You know, two roads, uh, whatever. And there's been many actually famous uh, American uh, poets since then have come on. But um, so was your dad a poet for one of the inaugurations? No, 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 oh. no. Even though it connects later on, there's a connection there with. Uh, Kennedy, ironically enough, his brother Ted, later in 1980, who helps my father uh, get released from Cuba. Why uh, was he arrested by Cuba? For well, writing? Well, in, in 1968, 69, um, uh, he, remember, like I just said, he was internationally known in, in, right. uh, in the intellectual circles. Um, and he writes a book of poetry called Fuera del Juego loosely translated to out of the game um and there's a in cuba and a lot of these countries at the time there's a thing called the writers union which kind of the communist world what they would do is became very good at the propaganda game they would use artists and things like that to you know they were basically were workshops or institutions where artists would kind of uh, work and do things and he his his book won an international jury prize competition and brought out a lot of uh, light into the plight based on his experience with what was happening with uh, the uh, communist world at the time. So your dad brought too much light, probably mm -hmm. the Cuban government didn't like that, and they arrest him, and how long did he sit in jail? Well, you know, one of the last conversations I had with him, my father was also, uh, and there's a lot of things my brother, father kept to himself. It was like, who's this bearded guy you're with? And it wasn't like, oh, yeah, that was him with Hemingway in Cuba. My father was first of all uh, a writer and his style of writing, which was more from the Nordic countries, uh, taking inspiration from there. We can get into the whole writing and the artistry of it. A gentleman who grew up on his family's estate, who were tobacco growers, always had a cigar, interviews with him all over from the New York Times to Time Magazine, always with a cigar wherever he traveled, uh, worked the fields, understood what it took, what his, what his family would come from Spain, what, what it took to, to grow tobacco and do these things. So all his life, cigars were an accompaniment uh, to living, to life. And uh, we got a chance going full circle on, the, on your question to, to um, talk about, uh, you know, before he passed away, um, about many different things. And, and, uh, and one of them, which was a kind of a, a, a weird subject to, to discuss with your father, is what was it like being tortured? Right. So your dad, though, you said, okay, so he gets, you're a baby, he gets arrested, he's only there for a few months, he gets released on house arrest. Mm-hmm. But you moved to the United States at the age of six. So how long? Yeah, 1979. In, so yeah, he was under house arrest for almost 10 years. 
He was under house arrest for 10 years, and they were trying to figure out how to really how to get him out and, and well, writers. You, wait a minute. Was he there, and you moved to the United States before he got out? So in 1979, finally, he's released, right? And, and Fidel Castro is trying to somewhat figure out what to do with him. So you can, my father, if he didn't have the contacts he had, he'd probably be a dead man. You know, it was more costly to, to kill him than it was to, you know, Okay, so again, reasons. though, do you and your mother, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have a brother, uh, half-brother, and two half-sisters. Do they all uh, get on a plane and go to United States? They left States? one year before to Spain, and then they came here. And then in 1979, finally, my mother and I do get on an airplane and are able to come to Miami. Uh, and when were you born? 1972. 79, my mom and I are able to leave. And then 1980, uh, uh, many different people, including the Pope, petitioned for my father's release. And one of the people who really helped expedite it was Senator Ted Kennedy's office. Yep. Uh, so there's a newsreel and there's pictures of him there with my, my father. And I was there uh, in New York when my father was finally released. He had to fly to Canada and calm down and whatever. And then my father went on to, you know, the Institute for Advanced Studies, the Smithsonian and universities and different things and kind of lived that. But tell, you mm -hmm. and I were talking yesterday about, okay, so you, you got on a plane and you, there's no direct flight from Cuba to United States. You're 90 well, miles from the United States and you had to go to Russia? No, 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 no. Where? No, Where'd no, you go? No, and no, then? Actually, Jamaica. Yeah, I'm on. You went I've to never, Jamaica. And I've never been back. I have to go back to Jamaica. You went yet. to Jamaica, yeah. and then from Jamaica to the United States. Correct, then to Miami. And in the airport, your mom has no money. And somebody, an American, gave you a candy bar? Yeah, so, you know, it's the classic, you know, uh, uh, story, right? I mean, I remember dating a girl uh, whose grandfather was in the Battle of the Bulge. My point with the whole Battle of the Bulge uh, thing or whatever was this girl whose grandfather, I... I uh, I met because I was dating an American, obviously. Uh, he had these pictures from him when he was in the Battle of the Bulls. Regular American yeah. guy from Texas and the whole thing. But he would go back every year. And he became friends with the young, uh, um, was it in the Netherlands, right? Dutch uh, boy uh, who he gave that. To. I don't know how he managed to, 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 to befriend him. But one of the rations that you got as a GI in yeah. Europe in World War II was that candy bar. And that connection you never forgot. And, uh, you know, so, you know, I, I don't know who the American was that gave me the candy bar. I'm very thankful if you're out there. Uh, but, you know, I don't forget it. And, and uh, I why, remember that. Why do you not forget it? What did it mean to you to get that? Well, I mean, it's a whole new world. I mean, you're coming from, from Cuba where it's not something you see readily and, and, and you know, Everything's new as a six-year-old. You know, I have a young daughter now, and and uh, the experience uh, endure but it, all that. But that kindness that that person gave you, yeah. in that simple gesture, just getting you a candy bar, yeah, was impactful. Oh yeah, yeah. As corny as, as it might sound to some people or whatever, but very much so. Yeah, I mean, because I remember my mom said, oh, "Okay, okay, okay we, don't, we can't buy that. You can't buy that." You know, imagine a small kid, and you're, you know, and then uh, the American gentleman came by. He's like, "Don't worry, I got it." And I'm. You know, and uh, and you know the rest is what. Were your it is. brothers and sisters with you, or was it just you and your mom? They left a little bit earlier. My, my other, my my brother, who's actually a, a partner with me in the company, we're a silent partner, Carlos, and um, they they left almost a year earlier. Uh, they were able to go to Spain, so we were able to go 
in, in different ways and then reconnect here. We're still close, you know, and the whole thing. Uh, but, um, yeah, it was... Who did you stay with while you were here? Family? Yeah, people, I had my, my, my grandfather uh, uh, on my mom's side uh, worked for the Navy as an engineer in Guantanamo Bay. And uh, so he came, so, so there, my grandparents came in the early 60s and stuff like that. But then in order for my father to be released, Fidel Castro specifically said, you can't be in Miami because you're going to get the Cubans in Miami riled up and blah, 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 and was sent over. Before my father leaves Cuba, Castro after everything, throws the honey, you know, uh, you, know, you catch more bees with honey than you do with vinegar type technique and says, look, I know maybe we've made some mistakes to revolution with you or something, that kind of shit, you know, typical dictator crap. And, uh, but I want you to know that um, you can go on to America. Thank God. We have many institutions colleges, universities you can go to that are pro-revolution and you can expound, you know, just continue to do your work. Your books and your apartment and your home won't be touched here. It'll be here when you come back. Did so what does he back? decide to do after getting arrested the whole thing? He decides to, while he's on... While he's being followed, you know, to the last minute to board the plane, to leave the United States, to fly to Canada, do the whole thing. It's almost like, uh, what's that movie where, uh, with Ben Affleck about the Iran now, uh, when, they, when, they, when they got those uh, Americans out of Iran in 1979, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. like at yeah. the last minute or whatever. What happens? Well, what does he do? What he decides to do is to smuggle the fucking manuscript out when you're about to get the fuck out. Like maybe remember the damn thing or write a new book. Why risk it? You're like about, you're like this, this out. I don't know. I did not genetically uh, uh, get those balls. Uh, so did he do it? He did do it. He didn't get caught? He didn't get caught. And, you know? that, and, and his then... friend uh, tells a story because his friend's sweating bullets, you know, Alberto Martinez, and they're all sweating bullets and they're all about to board the plane in the last minute. And it's like, it's, it's I mean, it's really, it's like a movie because, you know, the guy's like waiting, you know, like escorts him to his seat, escorts to him to that, and uh, and he thinks everything in the door's about to close, and there's the guy's head pops back in. Of the secret, but yeah, it's like that. It's like so. What gotta, did he pop back what in he, for? What he, you know, he comes back, and uh, and uh, and literally, as corny as it is, according to my father and his friend, says uh, uh, basically says, you know. I, I wish you the best in your new life. That's all he came back for. Oh, like, well, thanks a lot. I just shit my pants. So you're here. You grew up here from six till now. I mean, you're, you've been here the whole time. Yeah. And uh, you start at 28. What got you into the cigar business? Why? Why? Mm. Why even try to start your own brand? Yeah. Ridiculous. You're jaded. You're a little jaded. You said, mm. I must be a little jaded. How old are you now, you said? 49. 49, mm -hmm. 28 to 49. Mm -hmm. So almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. Almost half my adult working life has been in this business. Yeah. I mean, uh, I got in it for a lot of, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people do, it's because I like cigars. It's not the best reason to start a business. You know what I mean? Why? Because, I mean, you know, Mark Cuban, uh, who's more of a business guy, I think he, uh, paraphrasing him, said it best, you know, uh, 
And I know it sounds unromantic or whatever, but uh, you know, you ever hear that 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 saying, "Don't meet your heroes," almost. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, um, I I I don't make too many business decisions. I make I make what I like decisions. Yeah, you called uh, yourself a uh, you know, producer. A producer, yeah, maybe more a producer than other people. A lot of people here all say they're master blenders. How many master blenders have you talked to? This week, huh? Not a lot. No, no. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I don't know usually, they usually what market, title they're giving themselves. Yeah, to be they usually blender. like, oh, the master, or not even that. Just in the business, like, oh, he's the master blender. There's a lot of romance and bullshit to, to the uh, industry, which there is a lot of romance, and we don't even need to bullshit. I think it. most of the people though in the industry that are, let's say, like in your position, the brand, this is my brand. Mm -hmm. You rely on people back basically at the factory who are the blenders who know the tobacco that can then get it to listen any, level any, anybody who who says otherwise is full of shit cigar making is a team sport yeah you know? so you're not a master blender i'm a master nothing i'm i'm uh i'm a guy who uh has a certain vision now listen the design of the box from the band Okay, to the size, to the whole thing, that's all me. And I actually also take it to other designers, friends of mine, because I came more from that, and get their you input. You came from the design industry. Well, I came from, from, uh, from the advertising world, you know, people say graphic design or this or that. Did How that many years did you do that before you? I did that for maybe six, seven years, maybe if that, you know. I mean, I knew I wanted out of advertising for so many reasons. It just wasn't, you know, right. I wanted to do something. I'm, I'm a, if I don't love what I'm doing, I, I just, I'm not motivated by the money. Do you love making cigars? Yeah. You do? Yeah, that I do. Do you yeah. love marketing cigars? Yeah. Yeah. And that's about it. And that's about it. I don't. I don't understand anything else. No? Uh, no. Mm -mm. You said it's much harder to come out with a cheap cigar than to make a good, expensive cigar. Yeah, anybody can really tell you. You can, you can come out with a great cigar in a relatively short time. Matter of fact, the best thing that I've done, one of the things I'm proudest of is besides, yeah, everybody, like, my fun of this magazine, we started in 93. It's still the go-to place and people might find out, oh yeah, cigar aficionado and for some of the hardcore people, but five different times we've been in that, on, in that magazine's their top 25 cigars of the year. And they've been doing it for a decade. Uh, maybe a little, a little bit more, but probably about a decade. And it's, each time it's been with a different factory. So, so five top 25 cigars with five different factories. Yeah, and why I does maybe that matter? Huh? And why? Does why? That because I, one of the saying what I'm saying. One of the things that I talked to my national sales guy about is like, what's the pushback? Where are we going to put? Well, we have Padilla, but it's made with this different. You know, you change factory, same stuff. I was like, yeah, so that's that's what I do. Like, what I, that's the brand is about using the resources that are there to come out with a certain style cigar. Okay that fits what I'm looking for. That's where the producing thing comes. When, when there's a lot of romance and bullshit, but it takes millions and millions and millions of dollars to start up 
uh, a cigar factory and forget factories factories we can we can go tomorrow i can we can have a factory up all of us right here we can have a factory for a brief moment you tried to start a factory we did we we did and the people there and the things and whatever and it was just like stick to stick to the game plan my, my game plan is very simple you know uh, i worked with aj before anybody knew who aj was we made cigars uh yeah, you've worked over with a, a decade lot of ago them. we started with pepin garcia in a little place in miami when nobody knew it Worked with Aganorsa, worked with Oliva, uh, worked, uh, continue to work with AJ, uh, worked with Raices Cubanas, worked with El Titan de Bronce, which is on 8th Street, which nobody at the time really even knew about. So now it's like, great, everybody wants to make cigars in these places. That's fantastic. That's great. Um, but there's a certain style, certain things I look for, certain inventories of tobacco, certain processes. Some factories can, are just not set up to do certain things a certain way. Um, and so, you know, I, I, have enjoyed it. I learned a lot from how each company kind of works. Um, it's been interesting. Um, but it's impressive to you that you've gotten five top 25s with five different cigar factories. Yeah, because that's what a brand is about. Working with that factory no. to produce the best. A brand is a promise. Of what? Of whatever you want it to be. We're Porsche. We're a performance automobile brand. Correct. We don't make... What's Padilla then? Padilla is a traditional, premium, handmade cigar available in all different price points. Quality, at a great price, with a great presentation. You said that. You said the sweet spot is when you can get a cigar that's Great quality mm-hmm. for a great price. That's like the sweet spot for you. You're not super happy about spending more than ten bucks a cigar. Well, you have one. Do you have one cigar that's over ten bucks? Yeah, we have a ton. You're smoking one that's over ten bucks. That cigar is twenty dollars. That cigar is made in America. Unfortunately, we've had to raise the price. We make very few of them. You know, it doesn't add really much. Where's the bulk then? What's the price point for the bulk of the the bulk runs from a dollar fifty to uh eight bucks. You know, those we have different the finest tiers. hour, how yeah. much is that? It's about an eight to ten dollar cigar, depending where you are with taxes. Okay. You know? That's good. Yeah. That's those are great. made by AJ. These are made by AJ. Yeah. Yeah. Manufactured AJ. Yeah. Beautiful. So A lot of people have heard of the brand. A lot of people smoke the brand. Maybe not in your traditional brick and mortars that you might see. Why is it harder than to make this beautiful cigar? Or no, sorry, why is it easier to make this than it would be to make a Fuma? To me, a Fuma is like, this is, this is the lesser of the tobacco. This is the tobacco that can't make it into this because we can't charge 20 bucks for it. So. The Fuma just has to taste good. It doesn't have to have complexity. It doesn't have to have rich flavors and different notes and different characteristics. And it doesn't have to necessarily even, it has to burn well, but it doesn't have to be, you know, razor sharp burn and get judged by that. It's just a great cigar for an everyday smoke. So why is that harder to make than let's say a a Padilla Miami? Something that is very high end, $20 if, if, if you, Give me that, and I paid 20 bucks for it, and it's not great. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be very happy. Mm-hmm. But 
But if I spend $4 on a Fuma and it's not that great, who cares? Flick it and go. I mean, I'm not blaming you for that. So mm -hmm. why would that be harder to make a Fuma or a cheaper cigar than it would be to make this? Because people neglect the cheaper line and that's your first impression. And so yeah, you, you want need a good to, impression. You need, then, okay. you need to get that right. And people are not as forgiving, regardless of price point, as you think. At least, really? I, yeah. Because, like I said, I mean, if, if I smoke it, a does, Puma and it's, I, I, it's I, less than yeah. five bucks a piece, I'm Doesn't not matter. heartbroken you, you, over uh, that. But the brand is about over delivering on the actual product, on the actual thing that you That's stick you in your mouth. That's what you want to do. Is you want to over deliver? Well, on the expectations. Quality. Just like. Wow, that was a dollar, two bucks for that cigar? That excites you more. That, that, that's harder to do um, because, number one, you're, doing, you're making a lot more of them, a shitload more of them. You know, you're making a, a lot more of these cigars. Right. Um, and that and make to make sense. them consistently is more of a challenge. Um, yes, there, you can maybe you think that you can get away with this and that, this is like a no-brainer. Like it has to be, thank right you. One? It has to be, uh, it has to be a great cigar. So you know that there's certain bales, if you know tobacco, uh, and and certain processes that are going to get you there. That's that's. It's really quite simple. But now, take a Fumas, and if we were down in the factory, you'd be like, oh shit. So with the scraps that are left over from this cigar. Do you just put them all together in, the, in a blend? Like, no, that would be a disaster. Why? You wouldn't have a blend. <laughs> you would have just, just you know, that's what they a mess. Do. That's what they do with the scraps. They kind of mix them together, and then you got to put Correct. them in, and then you got to bind them. You're right. using a full-length binder, right? A full-leaf binder. Yeah, two, and what, what, that's the difference. The two. difference is we start sorting visos and harrows and things like that. Binders within, or the with, cuts? No, no, the cuts. You start sorting the cuts? Yeah, the cuts already when, when, when the women or whoever, the rollers are making this, are already person, you know, this is what, what Rice's Cubanas does extremely well. And that's why when, when Cigars International, who I make this brand for, uh, we just kind of started playing around with it many years ago. And, uh, and at the time, there was one big factory that was going to make it. And they were like, let, 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 you know, let's go. Can we, can we try it there? And I said, this sucks. This really? One, this sucks. You didn't want to put your name on no, it? No. I was like, I'm not putting my name on this. Why? Because it sucked. I mean, I was like, what does it matter? You know, if I, if I get a nice so check or that whatever. that was a different factory that made I, that. Right. right. And they said, well, there's no way, there's absolutely no way, you know, that Rice Guanas can do this, the price point and the whole thing. Oh, hold on. Hold on. They grow their own tobacco. Okay. They've got, like... How many pairs? Uh, like doesn't matter. Two hundred pairs, four hundred people, four hundred rollers. They got a big infrastructure. I go. Let, let me, me let me worry about that. Let me worry about the cigar part. But they've never part. done you this before, to, right? Racist Cubanos has never made a Fuma like this they, before. They had some Fumas or whatever, but I, I specifically told him, and that was specifically. That's why it's so much more challenging. This the numbers, the volume is much bigger, and in order to achieve. A Fumas, you've got to have a large production of premium cigars right. going on. Because you want good scraps. Right. And now other people who make Fumas, they'll just 
maybe buy from other factories and do this or whatever. And then mix and, it all together. Right, and it gets mixed up. And while you're sitting here sorting. Right, so now while they're doing their thing or you're seeing the scraps and you'll see them tear and you'll see whatever, you know, end of the day, things are getting and it's getting sorted like in anybody who's been to a cigar factory and you've been to these places. Yeah, they sort. It's like, that's a, that's, that's a lot of, for long leaf, of course, when you get bailed and things like that, that's so fine. So how are you making a budget cigar by sorting the scraps? Well, it, it, thankfully, the price point? huh? How do you hit that price point? Volume. 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 Low margins, but very, very high volume. So, I mean, just that brand alone, I think most boutique companies would love to have that volume, and uh, it sells by itself. The guy who I think there's a lot of people out there that smoke expensive cigars. And then also are looking for a great cut the lawn, shoot the shit, you know, uh, even golfing. You know, I've noticed right. a lot of golfers actually smoke cheap. I don't know if they're cheap as they're paying no, all this money. I do but, as well because oh, it's yeah? like I'm not paying attention. Are you putting it on the ground? Or, yeah, no, is I'm that it? I'm not paying attention to ah, the flavor. Okay. Okay. I would hate to smoke this on the golf course. It's great and everything, but right. when you're doing right. something else, right. I've heard a lot. From a lot of people, when I want to smoke a cigar, mm -hmm. high-quality cigar, mm -hmm. I want to sit down and I want to just relax right. and I want to be present with that cigar. Mm -hmm. It's a, we said at Tobacco Grove, Jeff always said, it's a two-hour vacation. Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily taking a two-hour vacation with a Fuma. Mm -hmm. It's not, that's not yeah, a vacation but, to me. That's just traveling. But a bad cigar is going to ruin your golf game. I get it. No, And no, it's no, going to no, ruin no. your day regardless. Because well, I can't, yeah. I, listen, I smoke everything. I smoke everything. But I they, try to smoke everything. New cigars, send them to me. My friend Phil, it's like, this guy's like a huge, he's a, he's a stockbroker. He's a huge cigar guy. And he sends me everything. And uh, I actually met him through Jonathan Drew or whatever. And, you know. And then he sent me the Drew Estate Factory smokes, and we smoke all different kind of stuff. In this business, we, we talk a lot about the ultra premium, which we do. And, and I've got cigars there. I mean, we've done cigars that are very expensive, very limited. They're even... Um, yeah, it's sitting right here. Uh, it's well, 20 bucks. Well, no, we've done even more expensive than that. Uh, but um, And some of them just became that way because they become rare. Like we did a 1932 special humidor that Pepin Garcia did back in the day. And those were at uh, Casa Monte Cristo in Chicago. I think they were selling them for $60 each. Or people get into finding the original Pepin made ones. And it, those have taken off into right. their own kind of world of collecting and all that stuff. But a Fuma's not going to upset me. Like uh, yeah. if I'm golfing and I just don't mm -hmm. like it anymore. But here's the thing. She's, it's once, gone. Once you discover a cigar that's a good, inexpensive cigar like that, yeah, but you're that's not going to risk taking, it. That's you're what like, I'm taking. I know this is a good cigar. Exactly, but that's what I'm taking golfing. You know? I'm not exactly. Gonna, that's fine. But, but you know, So I take that golfing because right. my focus and my concentration is on my golf game, which mm -hmm. is not very great, by the way. But mm -hmm. I still like it and enjoy it. So I do it. And, you know, if I'm sitting here smoking a Z88 or a Miami, it's like, Shit, this is a good cigar. I can't focus on my golf game. I can't even make a putt right now because yeah. the cigar is so good. But if it's a Fuma and it tastes good, it just rounds out my experience. Like, mm -hmm. I like smoking tobacco, premium tobacco cigars. So the Fuma fits with that because yeah. I can focus more on my golf game and I can still enjoy a great cigar that's not going to make me... Mm -hmm. feel like I'm missing out on something I, because I, I didn't yeah. give it the attention it deserves. Well, I mean, I do several. I do another one called Padilla Prime Cuts for a website. Small factory, a friend of mine, European, started. 
He's obsessed with cigars too. The price of that cigar is a little higher, so I couldn't go direct to the consumer uh, because, I mean, not I had to go direct to the consumer on that one because it would just be too expensive to do. Uh, we've done, but we sell a ton of those to Germany, to Israel. We sold internationally, where it's very high taxation. Uh, you know, all over the world, um, and people are still want a really good experience. So we have that. And we also have, uh, you know, moving on up, you know, the finest hour. We do the, a ton of cigars that are long filler, good stuff, made at Raices, also Cigars International, some other things. We just did a, a four-pack, great, very nice four-pack with the Bovida in it. Yeah. So I should have had my warehouse then give it to me. Really nice uh, looking uh, where you get one of each of the finest hour line, one of the Padilla 88s I got in the top 25 cigars of the year. Uh, that was the first time doing one of those packs, and I actually really liked, uh, like, you know, resealable with the Bovida, you yeah. know. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about that, maybe doing a few more of those. And then we've got a new project coming out with, with AJ, and another kind of high-end cigar called For Whom the Bells Toll. Yeah. Box Press, Broadleaf, Nicaraguan. So let's go back to this Fuma thing. So <laughs> I get it. Guy wants to talk about a dollar fifty-two dollar cigar forever. Well, you're saying it's harder to make it, it is so I gotta to make. figure that yeah, out. Yeah. I don't understand that. Yeah, if you were if you were to go down and start a brand and you were like, but oh, I just got a million cigar order for this to make you know this cheap cigar. You would see how much work. So then just make a cheap cigar and just sell it. They're gonna buy it. So you, what do you want? Anyone you want will buy selfie? anything once. You want but selfie. over. 20 years. So how many times have you sold, how many cigars of these Fumas have you sold? Millions. Multiple times. Millions of these cigars have been sold. Because you want to keep that going. You want Millions the customer to pick up a Padilla Fuma and smoke it and then want to smoke it again. Yeah, the, the best You're not compliment. one and done. One of the great things, because we started before social media was around, before even the iPhone was around. Jesus, I forget that. Uh, now someone like myself can interact directly with the end consumer right. and you know some of these new cigar clones come up and then they and they're like you know what man i love your cigar but my god this casadores which is another short filler cigar i love that or i love the padilla fumas or i love your picadores or love this I'm like you still care like yeah. absolutely uh, you know and i wish i would have brought one because if i brought one to you and I, if i didn't even tell you it's a short filler yeah many people would be shocked and i'll send you some uh, they're like Wow, this is actually a good cigar. But a cigar is nothing without quality premium tobacco inside right. of it. A factory is nothing bad without is bad tobacco. Ingredients. Bad ingredients is bad ingredients. You can't, you can't, you can't cover it up. There's right. no sauce. There's no whatever. So imagine taking premium I mean, cigar sauce, but you don't cuttings right, and, and, and now using that. It's basically like... Uh, a, a ribeye or, or filet mignon, you know, let's say you eat it for that night or it's leftover or whatever, and, and making a hamburger with it or wagyu beef. That's a good way of putting it. You know, it. that's, yeah. that's, it's like. You can have a hamburger with right. regular ground beef right. and pork, or right. you can go right. ribeye, right. chuck, right. and you'll and taste some the difference. pork and some, yeah. Yeah. some nice yeah. filet or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Okay. So that I get. Okay. Makes sense. But it's not so that easy looking, to make. You're looking for the premium ingredients. Yeah. You're trying to sort mm -hmm. the premium ingredients. Not only that, but you're making a blend. Yeah, exactly. You're making a blend. You're not just like you're not hamburger. just throwing. Because the chef is going to yeah. go. I yeah. want fifteen yeah. percent. Do people ribeye. know 
the people know how a Primo cigar is made? Yeah. People know this. The people look in the camera. Hello. I mean, do you, you know can how? Ask do, you, if you want. do you know how a Primo cigar is made? Yeah, I do. I do. How, how is it made? It's made by putting tobacco in a bunch, putting it in a press, putting a binder on it, and then okay. putting a wrapper on it. So there's there's a, a plant over here. He's gonna get up and grab a plant. He's got stuff falling out of his pockets. He's got. Gonna... He's cutting down the vegetation, you guys. I've never yeah. had anyone do this in a interview. So it's getting interesting with Padilla. Yeah. So this is this. Imagine this is a tobacco plant. Uh huh. Right. So over here we have the lejero. Yep. Right. So lejero is a certain type of leaf, yep. closest to the sun, smaller, thicker, highest nicotine content. Intense. Intense. This Got is it. what's going to give a cigar its power. Got it. Oh, wait, this is a gift from some friends at Uncle Sam. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, so uh, then you have uh, going down in strength and going down also in flavor, but each component does a different thing in a cigar. So a cigar, uh, uh, when you see tobacco plants, it's not like they just pick them and they just roll them together and then that's it. No, there's the engine, there's a transmission, there's a suspension, there's all these different things that come together to make a car. The same thing with a cigar. So, inside a premium cigar, these these different things are also how we place them inside a cigar. Right. You can't you can't place this over here. Many times when you can look in a cigar, you can't see it all the time. I have to put my things on. But there should be relatively a darker color in the middle. That's, That's the hair because it burns. Right. It, 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 it doesn't burn slower. as well. It burns slower. Right. So you need to surround right. it with a right. hotter. Right. Right. Easier to burn mm -hmm. tobacco. So then we have Viso, which is uh, many times, uh, um, it, it, well, factually it is, uh, a little bit milder in strength, fuller in flavor, okay? Seco. Uh, seco, okay. And then uh, you have uh, Libra de Pie. This is junk, uh, volado. Yeah, and, volado. And, and basically what you see here, this, this like first priming, sometimes it would get thrown away. But now, because some idiots decided that making 70 ring gauge cigars and selling them like they were like Toros or Robustos. I'm getting more cigar. Now you're getting shitty tobacco. You're getting an uninteresting blend and you're getting a lot of air in there, which doesn't make for, for great flavor. Right. So we need to do a better job educating consumers that, you know, I don't know why they love it. So this is kind of, you're looking at tobacco plant, you know, this is what you have. You have different primings, they do different things. And that's, that's part of it. And then you have, a different uh, plant, which is now what's going to be a wrapper. For example, here, this uses Havano Ecuador. So Ecuador, I don't know why it doesn't get talked about enough, the country of Ecuador, but Ecuador is the workhorse of the premium non-Cuban cigar industry because of the amazing wrappers that are made in Ecuador. Habano Ecuador, Connecticut Ecuador, Sumatra and Ecuador, it is the land of wrappers. There is no better place. It's because of the shape. The so there's a valley, right? And a natural shade, a thin cloud cover comes over, right? Now remember photosynthesis, biology yeah. class, you know, that's how a plant, this thing was eating. You know, these little things here. It's actually, uh, Richard Feynman was a physicist, great guy. Go Google a book called Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. Um, 
and he worked on the Manhattan Project, and he was a uh, physicist. Side and, note. Yeah, an, an amazing guy, but it, it's really amazing because I think in, on, on YouTube or something, it talks about, uh, you know, he, Feynman answers little basic questions about the universe. Are you a rabbit hole kind of guy? You no, get I'm down a, a lot of rabbit holes? No, I'm just a curious guy. I don't even understand how people are not curious about the world they live in, right? Well, yeah. So, no, like, we, when you heat up something and he talks about it, the atoms, they start bumping against each other. That creates friction yeah. and creates, you know, and, and he starts talking about, like, you know, that bouncing right there, that altered those atoms. Now, we look at everything as hard and things like that. But, you know, the, the light rays, the, the rays from the sun hitting here, it's, he's talking about, you know, the absorption of carbon, the things that does, and all yeah. the people in the environment, but it's an amazing thing. But if you shade it a little bit, then it doesn't absorb as much light, which doesn't give it as Correct. much intensity, which then well, provides an opportunity for a different flavor profile. Well, that, but we're also lo looking for elasticity. We're looking mm -hmm. for that plant to, which is a big solar panel, if you will, uh, looking for that fuel from the sun. So now we're looking for thinner veins and things like that. If you look at Connecticut broadleaf, that's a big monster of a of a, of a leaf right. growing up there and it's stalk cut, meaning what I just did and then they prime it, that does different, has different effects and yep. all that and sorry about that plant. Um, yeah, we'll bill so, you later. Right, right, I'm sure. So that's a little story on cigars made. Now, how does that tie into the fumas well, though? Now, but now we've taken a whole leaf, uh, we've, we've selected certain things, we, we're now putting in the, in the, in the uh, curing barn. Yeah. Right, so there's like, very tall, long barn, doors on the side. Now, when you have a whole leaf and you make a premium cigar, you, you, you don't example, use the whole leaf. You no. cut off the edge. There's cut off you edge. You cut the vein Right, out. but also when they fill it, you'll see that they're putting it here, right, their base, and to, to they'll, they'll break off depending on the size and put here and different things so you don't have any soft spots. But then there's leftover residuals, and in there it will have a little bit of Lajero. It might have a little bit of Viso. Someone that's trained and knows how to properly sort is going, that, that, these ladies are sitting there like ninjas, you know, that can like yeah. probably spot Lajero from a mile away. Just amazing to see, which that one's an easy one or whatever, but we start, and now we know that, hey, this percentage of Lajero with Viso, we may be seco for a short filler is what we got. We got these two binders, we got that. So we're actually doing a blend where other people just feel like we're just filling a physical object and whatever. And then that you makes get, sense. You okay. get burnt. And then one of the main issues you have with, with Cuban sandwich short filler not properly done is you're constantly get little pieces in your mouth. Not with this Fumas. Try it out. You'll see why. Why is that? Are you because, not chopping we can, it up more? Because when we <laughs> construct a cigar, it's another step. <coughs> on it, you know, we particularly, and him specifically, has trained uh, a different pair of rollers, okay, on how to do this the way we want it done. So the longer pieces, you know, are always in and towards your mouth, things of that nature, yes. The head and of so, the cigar. The head of the cigar is doing that, things like that, so inside, using two binders, uh, you know, so a lot more care is put into those cigars than most people would do. Uh, or care, but I think the hamburger analogy is great because what yeah, you're trying to do it's is too say, simple. It's that's no, that's, no, no. Because what yeah. I've seen it at high-end restaurants okay. where it's like, this is 25% ribeye, 15% pork, and you know grass-fed yeah. beef, yeah. Uh, the well, other well, portion. So you're getting this recipe for a great flavorful hamburger, 
but it's hamburger still. It's still you, chopped up meat in a patty. I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a chef or whatever, but I am curious, as you say, you know. And uh, one of the interesting things uh, about cuisine, certain the, the world's most famous cuisines, and I think most chefs would say that the French, if you go to a French uh, a school for, for uh, a cuisine, is one of the the higher tiers, if you will, and we can get into all that. But one of the things I'm about really French cooking was some of the dishes were country dishes, uh, and, and this has happened in all cultures, from using what resources you had to make a dish. But for this, a cigar that we only do 200 boxes every quarter, you know, we're looking up its rear like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> you know, all the heads are triple capped, you know, the way we do everything, the, the filler, I mean, it, it's a whole different ball game. The same with this, the, the tobaccos we use with that, knowing how many we can make of certain things. I'm not saying making a super premium cigar is easy. Don't get me wrong. There's, there's other complexities to it. All right, so here we go. How can a cigar smoker develop their palate? Give me the Padilla way. Well, um, it's not like you go to the gym and you do X amount of repetitions and you do that. Why not? Well, I can do repetitions. I can smoke a lot of these. You can smoke a lot of those. I mean... Aren't I going to get better if I smoke more of these? Uh, you know, a child, like my child, likes certain things, and you have to start introducing them to different flavors and walk them along. There is no palate police or that or this or that. You, you do, there are certain people who like certain profiles. There's people like I didn't IPAs. show you my palate police badge. Right. I'm a secret police right. for the palate well, police. There, there seems to be a lot of people in this industry that think, you know that way that you have to like like certain things or like whatever like one of the big mistakes that we make is we th new cigar smokers like you guys smoke a connecticut only oh i hate that you know so that. there's so many better right. cigars out there and connecticut doesn't mean right mild and, and right. approachable right and and we've done connecticut so this fucking is, blow your head off too it this is mild and approachable right exactly it's balanced Balanced. I love that word. Okay. When I smoke a cigar, I go, ooh, this is balanced. Mm. I like that. Look. And also, not necessarily balance where it's monotone flavor. The flavors that are coming out are well played out. It can change. It can move. It can develop a new flavor as long yeah. as it's balanced. So how do you develop your palate then? So how do you develop your palate? You got to buy expensive cigars? No. Not at all. So then what do you do? What do I do? You, I'm new to cigars. Yeah. What is the Padilla? Well. Develop your palate in this formula. Okay. This is just a guide. Okay. And people will say, well, you, there are people advertising. They have this effect and this and that. Okay. You can obviously go here. I think you should smoke a Padron and a Rosario. If you get a chance and overpay for this, maybe on a trip and try it, but well, that's fine. Or this Monte Cristo made by AJ or Arpadia 88, which is number 21. I would say the party doesn't get started in here on most of these top 25 lists, you know, till you get out of the top 10 list. So there's usually a lot of commitments that are needed there, but yet they need to fill the other things. So you, the gems are usually, and I'm not saying that because we're number 21, we've been, we've been high up on the list before, but a lot of the gems are many times 
towards the back, towards things that you wouldn't. So I actually, when I was drinking more wine and they had the list, I would actually look at like more of the middle of the road because towards the, the front, always super expensive, always super hyped, hard to get, this and that, fine, you'll try it. But there was like some, some rock stars, companies that maybe didn't have the budget, you know, the resources to have to make a better product. So you're saying mm -hmm. for me to get out there and try some middle-of-the-road cigars no. and see what I like? Mm -hmm. okay. No? Just because you're new to cigars doesn't mean you have to smoke a Connecticut. There's many brands, many things. Like you can smoke the Padilla Sun Grown, medium body, lots of flavor. Our Connecticut, which was voted in Cigar and Spirits uh, uh, magazine, was the top, it was number 11, one of the top 20 cigars of the year. Very unusual because Connecticut's don't really make those type of lists. That's a cigar. I'm not a big Connecticut guy, but wow. Very creamy, medium bodied, lots of flavor, approachable, things like that. A lot of times when you walk into a cigar store, a lot of guys feel a little intimidated. I understand that. They don't want to look stupid. They don't want to whatever. So they go, yeah, kind of just trying it out. And, and you're, you don't want to get out of your comfort zone, you know? So why not? Fine. I got a full humidor at my disposal. I can go in there and pick whatever I want. Yeah, at first, you don't want to be, you know, going too far till you get acclimated to... But in most cigar shops, mm -hmm. I would say that you could pick 10 cigars, and I would say over seven of them would be very approachable. There's not too many cigars out there that are Depends so how, bad how, well, that you're like, whoa, I was well, not right expecting right now, that. I would say, because of the amount of cigars going out, that the quality is not where it was. The boom and, and, and things like that. So I whatever. thought the quality during the boom was worse well, the it 90s was boom because, than it is well, now. Yes, because the industry as a whole was not ready. Plus, you got to understand something. Prior to 2007, not a lot of people used Nicaraguan and Habano Ecuador wrappers and things of that nature. Right. Yeah, they, Nicaragua It was like was Dominican getting... with Connecticut or Dominican with some But that's some expansion no matter what because, right. like you said, right. everyone went right. from right. Cuba and right. had to go right. elsewhere right. to find right. out how right. to grow right. tobacco. Right. What you should do if you have a budget, whatever it is, is uh, once a week, however much you're smoking, uh, try, you know, something a little different. Forget the hype. Forget the guys that are sitting there every fall. Oh, you got to try this cigar. Forget all that. Forget the gimmicks. Forget anything that's blingy, weird, odd, whatever, you know? Um, uh, you can you can just start with a regular Padron Thousand Series. There you have just a very basic Nicaraguan profile. Uh, you can try an Aladino out of Honduras. Now you can see the difference between Nicaragua and Honduras and see similarities, but yet they have their own character. Um, I tend to be more Nicaragua Honduras, even though I've made cigars in the Dominican Republic uh, for different reasons. But just try little by little to try different things now things like stogie bird things like you know these clubs have come out it's a great way to kind of get around and try some different things um but you're never going to develop your palate if you're always smoking the same thing and also please forget the country of origin when they tell you oh this is a honduran or is a nicaraguan why? Because we're, because they're always blended with different countries. But you just said Aladino, Honduras. You get to experience because that one is the that one is the per, that, Padron, that, you know, that, thousand two, series. That's those, exactly because those two, okay, are but you got one hundred percent what they call pearl. I don't know anything about cigars. I'm new to right. cigars, so right. why, how would I know that? 
How do I know? Oh, hopefully you have a freaking that good, the good cigar store know. clerk that guides you. What I don't? What if I don't? Well, you're watching me, and you're going to learn. That's why. <laughs> That's why you watch this shit. We, so well, while you're then, on the toilet... Right but now, you're, you're nowhere on social media all the time telling me this stuff. How am I going to keep? Well, that's why I came experiences? here. Okay, thanks for fitting you know? us in your schedule, Pedro. Yeah, you know, so I can tell you, you got it. But one of the things with our line, at least, for example, the finest hour, a Connecticut. We got a Connecticut and a Scuro and right, a Sunrise. Right. Yes. Is that it? In that line, yes. So that's all you need, huh? And in three, the most popular sizes in America, Robusto, Toro, and the one size I really never want to make again, 6x60. Six I uh-huh. hate it because it sucks. I like the My Father Connecticut 6x60. Six six. Yeah, it's well, gorgeous. It's I think it tastes better than the smaller ring gauge one. I, I don't like it. I don't like the... Uh, but you make a cigar size you don't like. Yeah, Why? times you got to compromise. Uh, you know, there's the demand for it, but that's it. That's, that's as far as I'm going. So what's really different wanna, between your really six like by sixty? You're not picking the bottom of that plant, are you, and putting it in there? On the six sixty, you you are really on the edge of of everything. So are you saying you put the you bottom know? of the plant in? No, there? but at that point, because of the price point, starts kicking up, and you can see the price, the difference between eight to ten dollars. You know, between a robusto and a six by sixty, that makes sense. Like, okay, it's a bigger cigar, whatever. But people are like, wait a minute, I, hey, I'm Company X. I'm giving you a 7x70 for the same price as a fucking Toro because I like you. But people smoke cigars for different reasons. People smoke cigars because the same reason they buy a Rolex. It's not to tell time. All right? Um, people buy, buy a Brightling to tell time. Yeah, well, someone gave this to me as a gift, and I really, you know, I, I never look at it for time. I always go like this. Really? Uh, I always look at my watch. Really? I'm a watch guy. I like mechanical, or not mechanical, but just I like a watch to tell time. So I mean, just keep, keep experimenting. Keep experimenting. Okay. So that's the key is keep experimenting. Yeah, you got to try different things. I'm glad don't you be afraid. really pointed us in the right direction. Well, listen, there's a lot of misconceptions. <laughs> look, this is a right here. Uh-huh. If you're relatively new or even experienced in cigar smoking, you can smoke that cigar. Just because a cigar is Maduro does not mean it's going to be fuller. Okay, so don't judge it by the color. Don't right. judge a book by its cover. Correct. Because I can give you a Connecticut that will, if you're a new cigar smoker, could, right. will, will like, it's too overwhelming It'll light you. you up. Yeah. So right. that's, that's, that's. Because you put the strength in the cigar, not on the outside. Yeah. The and many times people that don't know how, what they're blending, you see a lot of new guys with factories and stuff like that, they'll want to overpower it. Uh, and it kills the flavor. You're getting the yeah, sensation. right, because it's not as good of uh, complexity. It's you're killing that 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 leaf is killing. I would say the first rule to new cigar smoking is the one we just said: don't judge a book by its cover. This is dark. Doesn't mean that it's strength. Doesn't mean that it's going to be too powerful for you. You better pick it up, smoke it, and decide for yourself. No one can tell you otherwise. Nice, you ashed on the thing. Look, uh, a a Maduro wrapper. Many times we'll have a higher, huh? You cut my plant down. I just oh, asked you right, a little bit. Right, it's fine. Right. A Maduro that when you ferment, you have starches, you have sugars, things are going on. Most people when, don't know that that's what you're tasting when you smoke. Okay. You're, you're tasting oils and sugars. So the Maduro has that higher content. Like in a broadleaf, you'll have almost a molassy-ish sweetness to it. Yeah, because you've cooked it longer to make it sweeter. You know? You've pulled out more of the sugars in there right yeah you, you're not going to do a uh 
what is Candela? Candela is not going to be this big, sweet, molasses, Ugh. dark, uh, rich, earthy stay away from that shit. flavor. That's just, I don't Candela's know. is going to be like sweet, like green tea. You've shocked the process like so you can keep, yeah, so you can keep that color. So um, we're going to see a Padilla Candela next year. Yeah, people say Candela. I'm like, what the fuck? That's that's. You don't think it has a spot for cigar no, culture? No, and it was it was very much done for like the '70s kind of thing, uh, to to quickly. The '90s thing, because they couldn't cure the tobacco right, so long it was enough. Just a quick of the boom. way to just get you done, and it kind of stuck there. But it's how it's, long does it take to cure Candela tobacco? I have no idea on that because I don't mess with Three, that. four, five, six, seven, two weeks. I have I have no idea. It ain't months. No. It's not years. No, and and. It's not, not my thing. I look, Habano, uh, Ecuador, Sumatra, uh, Cameroon uh, uh, is a great rapper. It's not used too much. I had an opportunity to meet uh, uh, Rick Marifel Sr. Uh, before he passed away from the Netherlands. His family has, goes back many, many years. Great stories about growing tobacco in Africa. And that's really the interesting place. Like, how many other places are there that might grow some fantastic tobacco that we haven't really approached yet. And I've tried some different places. Uh, Botswana, I think I tried some. I tried Braz um, right on the border of Argentina and Brazil. There was something interesting going on. But West Africa, Cameroon. So look, let me back up. Now that we're on that subject, if you really want to know the history of premium cigars, you have to understand the history of the Cold War. So how do we? How does the Cold War tie in to non-Cuban premium cigars? Yeah, well, what I'm, are you talking about? I have no connection in my mind. You know, well, Anderson Cooper, I'm going to tell you. Prior to the Cold War, prior to the Cuban embargo, which happened in 1961, I believe. Does everyone know what happened with the yeah, Cuban? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all know the Cuban Missile Crisis. They, they can look know? it up. They'll Google okay. it. Okay, Google, Google the Cuban Missile Crisis. So. After that happened, after that incident happened, uh, first, President Kennedy calls his uh, <coughs> uh, head guy, Pierre Salinger, and says, I want you to pick up all the H, H. Upman Coronas yeah, that you can. This is Cuban embargo. Right. We know so, Kennedy stocked up and he's right. good so he for stocks the rest up, of his he does life. the whole thing. I remember I was having uh, dinner with Bob Francois, who's uh, the, the original owner of Thompson Cigar Company. Yeah. And uh, he would have a trip uh, where he invites certain vendors you know, yeah. I did well at his own private jet. He's like, I can pick you up uh, on the way down to, uh, he would have it in Key West. I'm like, I can just drive down, but okay. And, and then he'd fly you down and he had a big Hatteras fishing boat. And I remember Rob from Zycar, some other people, Christian Aroa was on that trip, different people. And then every night after fishing or whatever, we would, uh, a white, you know, linen table was set up and guys and great food and whatever set there with Bob. And I was kind of curious. I go, uh, the owner at the time of Thompson, now it's owned by Cigar uh, International, and, and uh, but Thompson was from 1916. It was the original uh, catalog of, of yeah. cigars. Uh, they even have a small factory at one point. Uh, they had a rebellion there at Thompson because they wanted to do machine-made, and all the rollers freaked out. You can Google all this back in like the 20s or something like that. Um, and they had to place the factory right outside of Tampa because all the cigar rolls were Cubans and whatever, get into that history. But uh, because of this embargo, the market was forced to look for other places to grow premium tobacco. The right. Dominican Republic did not have an industry, did not have a culture of right. cigars. Nicaragua is non-existent. Honduras, Mexico, all this. The Canary Islands 
off the coast of Africa that are owned by Spain where a lot of Cubans who are in the cigar industry, Placencia, myself, Padron, our, our history actually dates that uh, those little volcanic islands. Uh, actually, the Spanish, uh, when they had the, the New World, brought over some of that and started growing it there as a curiosity. At that time, Benny Menendez, I think, was a Monte Cristo fame and other people, started a brand called Monte Cruz. And it became very big and very popular. And they looked for places to grow it. And one of the places they got the wrapper was West Africa and Cameroon. The Dutch have been there and everything. And, you know, How did all tobacco this. get to Cameroon? That's a long runabout story. But a lot of them, you know, cigarette uh, burley and things like that is a different strain than what we use right. and stuff like that. But every uh, in the 70s in Paris, there would be a big uh, uh, show or, or auction of that tobacco. Right. It was just like a huge thing. It was a thing. And so a lot of, uh, Bob was telling me, a lot of that, uh, what was used then was Cameroon. And then they started getting into using some Dominican. And then the, the industry transitioned. Dominican kind of started, you know, here's some of these families and stuff like that. They brought over some seed strains, planted it there. But then uh, they started going to Nicaragua. Everything was fine until their third civil war started in the 80s. There was problems there. Honduras was really taking over, but there was a huge market in the United States at the time from the Cuban exile community. And my father would smoke Padrones and things like that. They were a cafeteria cigar, which we could still go get from Padron that you won't see and probably screwing up the whole market in little yellow boxes, which are still there. And there were the Fumas, which are mm -hmm. still made by Padron. They're a great cigar. If you're ever in Miami, go to a, what you see in Little Havana or some other place. Go to Versailles. For example, the famous Cuban uh, uh, restaurant cafeteria, they all have an outdoor window where you get your Cuban coffee and you would get your cheap fumas. That was the thing. That was what you got. You got and so these Padron fumas, and he sold millions of them. And then uh, uh, Camacho, uh, back then in the 70s, not the Camacho you know now, whatever, that was brought out. It was a big brand with the Cuban exile community also. So it was a big demand at that time. Uh, cigar smoking kind of declined a little bit with, and some of Anglo-America, but cigar smoking was all over America. I, I mean, all over. There were factories from Pennsylvania to, I've seen them in Iowa. I've seen them all over. Montana. Was, everywhere. Tons of them. Incredible. Over 109. Incredible. I mean, the industry was huge. Check out that episode. Is there? Yeah. I don't I mean, know about that one, but I do know that the amount was Big just, Sky Tobacco Company really? or Cigar Company is from Billings, Montana, and he had all this history on all these because they all were running out with the railroad. Mm -hmm. You gotta watch the episode. Over a hundred cigar factories right. in Billings, Montana. Right. Now, why? There was a huge demand for premium cigars, and so Bob Francois buys Thompson two years Not later. Not even premium Fumas. Right. Stuff just yeah, to smoke. Yeah. Well, you, without getting to the whole history, Key West was the largest uh, late 1800s, 1890s, or whatever. Was the uh, right after American Civil War was the biggest producer of premium cigars. Yeah. Um, you know, if you ever, if you love history or whatever, go down there. The Gato Factory, which is the government building of Key West, is down there. Things like that. Then they moved over to Tampa. Okay, so you have a big history. Ybor City, immigrants of Cuban and Italian descent. <coughs> and so, if it wasn't for the for the Cuban embargo placed by Kennedy, we'd probably be still messing around with some Cuban cigars. But at the time, Cuban tobacco was actually imported to Tampa, and there was something called that was called the Clear Havana, which was a blend of some Sumatran in it, 
with either a, a some Cuban and things of that, and and sometimes a rapper and things like that. It was a mix because of the duties of right. actually bringing in mm -hmm. from Cuba. Only really, really top people smoked the Cuban, so right. that's kind of a misnomer that people think it was just Cuban cigars. But because of this embargo, because of what happened, and the demand, the market get pushed out. American out go. entrepreneurism. I mean, boom. And here we are. We have a whole new industry because of it. What's next? We'll see. I hear the Chinese are trying to create their own cigar industry and bring people over and trying to into the soil there. The soil, like wine, is essential to growing premiums. You can grow tobacco anywhere. It's a weed. It's, it's, you can grow in Finland. You can grow at certain seasons, obviously, or whatever. But there's only certain soils, you know, like Connecticut River Valley. It runs into Massachusetts. You're the second person today to tell me that it's a weed. That's interesting. Yeah. And so it's related. It grows. It grows for what? 60, 90 days, yeah. 60 days, and yeah. then it's done. She's related to. Fast. She's related to tomato. She started off in Peru, is where they found the old. Can you hear tobacco grow? I haven't talked to it or heard it grow, but okay. if you're ever curious, we can get you some seed strains. You can grow it in Minneapolis, and you'll see her, <laughs> see how sticky she gets and whatever. She's an interesting, uh, interesting. Is it good when weed. it's sticky, or is it bad? I mean, she's doing. Uh, uh, her thing, you know, and then it has a flower. Yeah, on you the know, top we debut it. Seeds yes, out. and and the companies that most people haven't heard of, like ASP, which stands, stood for Alberto Silvio Perez, which is a top, uh, a top, and really experimenting with with hybrid seed strains and things like that. It's people think also many times in our industry that's just romance, but there's a tremendous amount of science that goes into this. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. It's a shame that. We don't, I don't know, I guess it could be too much to talk about, but if, if you're watching this, it's because you have more than just a casual passing interest in cigars, so you might want to know a little bit more about all the things that are involved in right. making a cigar, and it's, it's a tremendous, it's, it's impressive the amount of work that it takes, it really is, it's, right. it's, wow, I'm still, like, awed by what it takes to consistently make a good premium cigar, whether it's our Fumas or Miami or Padilla 88, it's, uh, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work, so. Well said. Yeah. It takes a lot of work just to make a cigar, so enjoy them, cherish them. Ernesto, thank you so yeah, much. thank you for having me. For being here, sitting down with me, educating us, getting into the thick of it, going off on tangents. Yeah, good luck with the editing. But as always, <laughs> If you got cigars, you got to protect them. The best way to protect them is to keep them humidified with Boveda. Boveda? It's the only way. It is the way. And as always, grab a Padilla cigar and use Padilla's um, motto. Get out there. Get out of your comfort, comfort zone every once in a while and try a new stick. Try a new cigar. See what you like. And you'll there's, like different things as you continue to smoke and evolve. Always the stuff you're going to gravitate to, but get out there, try some new stuff. Thanks for watching another episode of Box Press. Thank you. Thank you.